How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law, Thomas McCoy, and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. I really like that one. The way it, I mean, you almost you almost went so deep. You that, know what I was um, going for there? What was that? Remember, like the haunted house tour, like like the production of the ooh, the ghouls <laughs> and goblins and. Well, I think you achieved your goal. Cool, or, or your ghoul. My ghoul. <laughs> I don't know goal. why. I was feeling it. it. I was feeling yeah. it. What do you that's think? The, that's the Should spirit. I go with it? Should I work with that or go back to the... We'll see where it goes, really. Huh? We'll see where it goes. Uh, I mean, let's put it out to the listeners. Like, if you think Dr. Joe would do well in a pun competition, do you think Dr. Joe should go to the pun competition in Texas? Yes, we open it up for comments. Now, are you good under pressure? Uh, sure. Dad joke posting, we're starting a collection. Pay your dues. Uh, pay your dues. But we will take this no father. Okay. okay. Sorry, that was a dad joke. No father. Did you keep those in your dado base? Nice. Uh, uh, Look at you. you see, there, there, there is a contagion component to this. Yes, really. there is. It's fun. It's witty. And, and speaking of fun and witty, uh, Tom, I think that's a great segue for our guest. Absolutely, Dr. Joe. Joining us again today is Mr. Finley Congdon. Finley Congdon is a 24-year-old transgender man who provides mentorship for the Transparent Support Group, supplying life experience and resources from his personal transition journey. He is also a board member of a local LGBTQ plus nonprofit, the Hingham Pride Project. He has previously worked as the coach of a transgender inclusive college rugby team and is following his passion for civil rights into a career in advocacy and community support for the LGBTQ plus community. Welcome back, Finley. Thank you so much for having me again. I'm happy to be back. Yeah, welcome back, Finley. How have things been since we chatted last? They've been great. Uh, since we last spoke, we had our, our large fundraiser, our drag bean to go fundraiser, and uh, our our queens were fabulous. We raised a bunch of money for MTPC, and everybody's happy. What is MTPC? Uh, that is the Massachusetts Trans Political Coalition, uh, and it's basically an organization that works throughout Massachusetts and uh, the surrounding area to aid trans people in a number of different ways. Um, they help people uh, go through their their name changes, identity document changes. Uh, they help connect people with um, the sort of gender affirming garments they might want, like a binder. Um, they help them with um, with their legal needs. They provide training for companies that feel that they could really improve their DEI around the LGBT community. They they do a laundry list of wonderful things for um, the trans community in Massachusetts. There was another acronym in there, I think, DEI. Oh, yes. I'm oh, sorry. Uh, so uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. So really anything that that helps minorities feel be more included in, in whatever sphere it is, whether it's work or 
social normally work in this. You might have heard it as D-I-E. That's how the anti-Dr. Joe spells it to make it sound Ooh. bad and scary. Get it? Ooh. So so I want I want to bring it into drag because there is a huge sort of I think there are there are several camps of perception around drag and what it is. So Finley, can I can I ask you first just to talk about what what is drag? Um, I would say at the most basic level that drag is performance that play that has perspective on gender. I think a lot of people have a very certain view of what drag is, that it's just cisgender gay men dressing up as as women. And I would Can say- Can I ask that, a question? Yes. yes. What is cisgender? Agreed. Absolutely. What is cisgender? Absolutely. Uh, so cisgender is just the opposite of transgender. Like I'm transgender. I, I was born female. I transitioned to male. If you are a male and you've were born a male and you feel good about that, then you are cisgender. It's That's from just... uh, it's from Latin, right? Because trans mm -hmm. is it refers to this side of or the other side of. Exactly. So cisgender as opposed to brother gender. Yeah. It's just like <laughs> differentiating. You're like, well, the if you're not like trans status quo gender. Yeah. This is okay. okay. So so drag is where um people who identify as male dress in non-male clothing is that well, part actually, of it actually i think that that's some that can be some people's view that drag is just men dressing up as women um but i think recently what people have started to see and what the community is really uh the drag community and people who enjoy drag and and queer art have really come to appreciate and which has been true for a very long time is that anyone can do drag there are there are plenty of cisgender women just uh, who are uh, cisgender women who do drag and you would say those are women dressing up in women's clothing but it's not about that it's about the the pomp the flamboyance the perspective on gender that you bring um so people of all genders do drag and some drag is very female presenting some drag is very gender queer kind of unclear i've there are a lot of people who cut, who I've seen perform who are fabulous drag performers and you could not put a gender marker on them in their outfit. So drag performers do drag. What is that? Like, how do you do drag? How, you know, is, is it a performance? Is it an art? Is it, help me understand, I'm curious. I'd say it's, it is, yeah, I think it is performance art. I think that is a big piece of it. It's hard for me to get really specific because I think what a lot of drag is, is um, lip syncing or live music performance uh, and dance. But drag is a very, um, it's kind of an open form art form where I've, I've seen drag performers get up on stage and play the flute live. I've seen drag performers do live speed painting. Um, there are some drag performers who conduct orchestras in drag. Uh, so there are a lot of different things you can do. It's really um, the about the, the experience of putting on this um, kind of gender informed character is what makes it drag. And going from there, it's really what, what are your talents? What sort of performance can you bring that will excite people? So like Elizabethan period kind of. Yeah. 
Well, that's a big problem. I think that's a big problem right now with a lot of the laws in some states that are trying to ban drag or make it impossible for drag establishments to exist is that it's not very clear. It's not easy for them. It's not easy for us to define drag. So it's definitely not easy for them to define drag because they do not know that much about drag. Um, so a lot of the laws that they're writing, people are asking, oh, like if I dress up for Halloween, could I be arrested? Who's writing and, laws? Uh, well, in Tennessee, they've, uh, I believe, yeah, Tennessee, they recently passed a law that would make performing drag in a public space illegal. Um, also changed a lot of the laws around, uh, it reclassified it as like adult performance in the same way that like a strip club would be considered. Well, okay. So that's the lightning rod, right? I mean, that's the triggering point, right? So is it explicit and is it being performed explicitly in front of children? I think is where the trigger of your community would be found. Right. And I think that like anything that's kind of a wide variety of performance, there are versions of drag. There are absolutely drag performances that are not appropriate for children. I have been to plenty of drag performances that are not appropriate for children. But there are also drag performances where children are allowed and encouraged to come. I mean, I think this is one of the things that is being talked about a lot now, but drag story hours are uh, have become a big thing in the past few years. Um, drag queens going to libraries and reading to children, which is completely child appropriate. It's reading children's books to children in a, fa a fun costume that children love. It's like when someone dresses up like Princess Elsa and goes to, you know, you could be Cinderella. It's the same thing, children love it. Um, but a lot of people are trying to paint even that kind of thing as being sexualized because they are in drag. And I think uh, it's a kind of telling on themselves too, because it's like, oh, women equals sex. They're, they just see queer people a lot of the time and they're like, those are sexual deviants. So anything that they do is going to be a form of deviance. Well, that's a prejudgment, right? <laughs> I mean, that's historically how things go, right? Yeah, so you, you had a question while we were off air, Mark. Um, the first was, Finley, appreciate you being here, and you're comfortable talking about this. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, drag is something that has given me a lot of joy um, and has connected me with a lot of community. So I, I feel like it has given so much to me, and I want to be able to speak out for it when it's being attacked, as because it I think... That it is one of the truest kind of what we consider to be like a, a queer art form, an LGBT art form. That's something that uh, LGBT people all over the world do, um, and it, it really connects us. Can I ask? Can I ask like like a really a really just a simple question? What's the difference between the G part and the queer part in LGBTQ? Um. I find, I, I find normally that people use queer as more of an umbrella term. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, That's all I need to know. Yeah. No, I think it's tough. Lots of people can fall into a lot of things in the, in the string of letters and you kind of pick which one feels the best to you. Okay. Great. So, so to get back again, um, we were talking before. Can I clarify something? Yes, Mark, please. So Dr. Joe said that I asked a question during the break, if you were comfortable speaking about this, but the question actually was, you were 
scheduled to be joined with two other individuals and like karaoke, some people enjoy <laughs> the group as opposed to an individual. So my question to you is, are you still cool and comfortable that you don't have your, your posse with you, your team, your, your cohorts, and you were so cool. And I'm so psyched because I love advocacy. I love early adoption advocacy for whatever cause or purpose it is. It's passion to me. And that's, there's something special about that. This country, this global universe seems to be lacking passion. Like there's a status quo forming over our, maybe it's the, uh, the carbon. I don't know. Yeah. I just feel very privileged that y'all have, have asked, have even invited me to come speak about this. So. Absolutely. And, and, you know, the advocacy part, I agree with you. It, it's so important. And yet, there's a sadness to it as well that we have to do that. You know what I mean? That some people, that some people, you know, just no matter, you know, that they're they're in the out group, we're in the in group. So the in group has to advocate for what's going on. The in group, the out group says no, 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 no. I, you know, so it, it's the same thing. I, I we had um, a Riverside Gala, and this incredible person got up. Who, who's trans and talked about their experience. And somebody said to them afterwards, it took so much courage to get up there, really appreciate the courage. Mm. And I said, I wish one day it didn't have to take courage. You know, the, the, it was just part of sharing the perspective. And it, courage implies that there's a danger and a, at the very least a mistrust. But this person was incredible. So... I appreciate that we're talking about this. Um, but, but isn't that define evolution? As things evolve, it's going to be uncomfortable because it's change for the status quo. So how do we have a conversation versus throwing bombs at one another? So why do you think it's uncomfortable for the status quo? In, in order it's different it's different than what they're used to we have a community whether it's you know whatever the community is and this isn't something that we're used to this is not something that was part of our community and here it is now so how do we embrace that well we come with our pre prejudgments right whatever the sermon on the hill or the leader of the municipality or whomever was creating thought in that community says we don't want them in here. And then somebody says, why don't we want them in here? I kind of like them. They're really nice people. And then the conversations start to happen. And people are curious and ask purposeful questions. And they value and respect one another, Dr. Joe. Which is why I am happy we're here talking about this as well. And I picked up on that when you said that. I am happy because it makes sense. Of course, we're going to talk about this. Of course, we're going to have a conversation about this. But then how do we let the other folks know that it's going to be okay? Very important. Because it's that unfamiliarity that activates in a human brain the potential of danger. So, you know, we can talk about the response, but understanding the evolutionary reason for that response allows us then to do something different because the evolutionary reason is limbic and irrational. If it's if I don't recognize this, it could be danger. 
which means my group could become extinct. And that means that I need to do something and I need to respond to protect myself as opposed to saying, relax, man, it's okay. We're one group, it's called humanity. Let's, let's figure out, I'm just fascinated. But that, that is part of what happens. And I think it's really important for people to understand what the neurobiology is, the evolutionary biology is of these responses that we have intuitively, instinctively, and naturally. But if we keep doing that, we will destroy ourselves. Because we, as one of my heroes, E.O. Wilson says, we are caveman mentality with Star Wars weapons. Dangerous. So anyway, now that I've said that, thank you very much. Um, let's get back to this because yes, advocacy, Finley, when, I mean, we spoke about this a bit last time, you know, when you began to, to understand who you were, when did you start doing the drag or going to that? Honestly, I think what's funny for me is that I started to form a relationship with drag before I really had words to put to the feelings that I was having. Um, and that, uh, I think be before I came out as trans, I came out as trans a little bit older when I was 18. Um, but I knew that I was, I knew that I was queer when I was much younger, um, probably 12, 13 was when I, I started to come to that realization very clearly for myself. Uh, and around that time was the same, the first time that I saw there's a, a wonderful um, drag TV show that's become very popular in the United States, um, RuPaul's Drag Race. Uh, I think it was the third season. It was on when I, in like 2011. And that was the first thing I ever saw in any media that was just gay people having fun and being happy and celebrating each other and being celebrated for their, their creativity and the gay aspects of their creativity. And I really fell in love with that show because as that young person, that kind of tween, I was so desperate to feel wanted and included and like this wasn't kind of a death sentence or maybe that's a, I was going to say maybe that's a little dramatic, but it doesn't feel that way when you're younger. Um, it's not dramatic at all. How many how many kids are suiciding because of this? Absolutely exactly. not dramatic. What about forty trans percent that have it's about fifty percent? Yeah, yeah. will attempt suicide at some point. So I recently heard a wonderful DEI director explaining their role, and they acknowledge some of the prejudgments that people come to the table with, with their home and social domains. And this person was so clear and concise and unequivocal that it was truly about belonging. The word choice was belonging. And that's what really I'm hearing you saying, Finley, is I needed to feel where a place where I belong, community, Dr. Joe. We've talked about this so often on this show, community. Where do I belong? Where do I want to be? Where are my people? Right? 
And it can be hard in some communities because those things aren't always out in the open for you to find. Right. I think especially in the queer community, a lot of the things, a lot of the the spaces that we have have kind of gone underground because it's not always safe to have them out in the open. Um, and when you're a young person, it's not always easy to be able to go to things like a, a nightclub or something. Um, but just having that, that um, representation of people really celebrating being gay and that not having to be excused in any way was really meaningful to me when I was young. Uh, so when I got older and I was able to actually go to drag shows in person, that was something that I had been looking forward to for a very long time. And I think for me particularly, drag has been very meaningful to me as an adult um, because when I was younger, I mean, I'm a transgender man. I did not have a good relationship with femininity when I was younger. Uh, I was I was always rude to, about all the people who wanted to play with Barbies because I was so desperate to convince everyone that I was a little masculine person. Uh, and I feel as an adult, being able to go back and uh, really heal my relationship with femininity for myself and for the other feminine and female people in my life uh, is something I really owe to myself and to those people. So being able to see people go and play with femininity particularly and enjoy it, even though it might not necessarily be their 100% of their daily lives is something that has been, I think, really transformative to me for the way that I interact with myself and with other people. I think a lot of people can benefit from that too, because I think femininity, relationships with femininity can be really challenging for people across the board. So like the wisdom of the commercial, por que no los dos? Why not both? Why not both? Uh, we got the yin yang. We got a little of both. Yeah, we absolutely do. Right. As a matter of fact, men have more both than women. What's that mean? We have an XY chromosome. So we have both. Women are XX. Right? So I know might not seem like much and sort of a silly distinction, but the, the idea that, that men don't have any femininity is just, just silly, you know? And this, this also goes back deep into our evolutionary past, you know, that somehow, and this is my theory on it. We were, we were, we were actually having this discussion at, at, at this talk I was giving on aggression and women and men talking and again in respectful value, trusting environment that we create about the difference between men and women and how women were, you know, in maybe ways better communicators than men and men were, you know, this sort of aggressive image and that to have anything threaten that aggressive image was really undermining, especially all those millions of years ago. Because we were, you know, we were just beginning to emerge as a culture and, and men needed to be in this role, but there was more to it than that. So the idea was millions of years ago, you know, there had to be this aggressive male and this really communicative female, not, not, not a, a passive at all. I mean, the, the women in the societies were the gatherers. They were the ones that were really providing much, much more of the food than the men, that were the hunters who maybe got lucky 10% of the time. But what would happen when those men left the village and they left behind the person who was a man who was not 
really manly enough to be in the hunt. What happened potentially then? The whole paradigm, everything changed in humans when there was something developed and evolved called internal gestation. You know what that is? Pregnancy. As soon as our species evolved, that the only individual who could be absolutely 100% sure that this was their baby, their genetic contribution, the only person who could absolutely know that was the person who was pregnant. Just think about this for a moment from a genetic point of view. I'm trying to get my genes into the next generation. That's the competition. That was the whole DNA competition. I, as a male, can be 99% sure that I'm contributing to the well-being of my offspring. But the woman's 100% sure because she had the baby. This is what caused a lot of the male dominance to be so dominant, to be able to control everything so they could have as much guarantee that they could that this was really their baby. Sort of a little bit mind-blowing, but that's what it was. And that vestige remains today. So I think that's part of why there's this whole culture that doesn't understand people like Finley. Uh, and it's, it's not, that's nothing to do with morality. It's just without people realizing it, it has to do this deep biological component. Does that make sense? Or am I just making something up? No, you're making sense. It's, it's... Let's say it again, though. Yeah. Okay. So because we are human and we want to get our genes into the next generation, because that's what all species do. We have better ways of doing it now than we did. But because of that, we worry as men that we are contributing to the genetic potential of somebody else's genes. That's what internal gestation has created. And the women are saying, I'm not worried. I know it was my baby. So that leads into this whole perception of gender. And what happens when we shift that perception as we have to, as we should, as has always been there. There's always been people that don't fit that male, female model, right? I mean, we know that. So it's, it's but, an opportunity, go ahead, Tom. Well, it's just, I was gonna say, it's like we, we have long, well, we haven't long since, but we stopped making judgments on people's intelligence, whether they're blonde or brunette. We don't judge people by whether they're left-handed or right-handed anymore. We do our best not to judge people by the color of their skin because that's not all that they are. So why is it so hard to understand that someone doesn't really define themselves around what's between their legs? Yeah. Why is it so hard to understand? Why? What do you isn't think? That, isn't that almost explaining itself? It's You, you kind of went through the transition of history. Right. I mean, unfortunately, as communities break into a bigger community, there's going to be friction. And I always like to say this with my team and they they don't love it. But I say 
with friction brings sparkles, mm. right? So sometimes you have to have uncomfortable situations. But my concern is more of, of the messaging, right? So, you know, if the triggering side that doesn't understand it and is closing off and is giving every reason thrown at them to keep thinking the way they do. And most things, I'm not saying I'm a big fan or proponent of regulations, but sometimes we need guardrails to kind of keep things safe, right? So for example, I can't imagine the intent of somebody walking into a library to read a book to children would ever in a million years think, I'm going to turn this into an exotic strip show-esque kind of performance. But is there some conversation about age appropriateness and, um, and honor the performance at the time and audience uh, and I'm kind of- Developmental level. Yeah. I think that I think that what is frequently missed in that conversation is that there are already a lot of controls on that. I, I cannot tell you a single time that I've been to a drag club, drag show uh, for an adult themed performance that I have not had to present my legal ID and prove that I'm old enough to be there. Um, so there are definitely uh, if if there's a time nor I think the the most normal state of affairs is that if it's at a place that's like a club, if it's at a place that's like a bar, they're going to have to prove that you're an adult. If they have made it in a place that is specifically accessible to young people, they they tend to to state it in that way. They make it clear that this is a, a show for young people. Um, An all ages show, right? They right, do it exactly. in musical performances. They do it in all performances. But is there a is there a way to get those who are being triggered and sent videos of well-intended performances going a little bit overboard and having something that is viewed as not appropriate is there is there a conversation with that group of people to say hey like i mean we're having the conversation right so but is there a is there an avenue to have that conversation where yes this is a public performance out in public in the day keep it all ages all yeah. age appropriate and if it's 21 and over well you know what i mean dr joe i don't think that the brain is fully developed at 21 but we're getting a lot closer to that age right so 21, you can go to war, you can vote, you can do all sorts of things. You can drink alcohol, you can smoke marijuana. You can go to a strip club. You can go to a drag show that's inappropriate for children. But you're going to show your ID, Finley, right? Yeah, no one is. I, I promise you all the people who are advocating for drag to be accessible to people and to continue, continue to exist in these spaces where it's being attacked. No one is saying that you should bring your five year old to the like two, 2 a.m. show at the club. No one needs that. No one wants that. It's not fun for the other patrons there if you bring your five year old, I promise. Um, right. And one thing to understand is the, the a library drag story hour. 
those people are wearing more layers than the four of us combined. Like, they're very well dressed. So is there, so you spoke of Tennessee. Are you from Tennessee, Finley? Is that the accent I'm picking? No, actually, I am from I'm from right here from Hingham, Massachusetts. Okay. Um, but I know, yeah, in Tennessee, they have passed, they have fully passed signed some laws that are going to make it very difficult, if not impossible, for drag performances to continue in that state. So um, would that be defined as drag store, drag queen story? Is that what you called it? Drag queen story any hour? Kind of drag, yes. Yeah. Actually. The, the problem that they're having now is I actually was, I was just watching on the news yesterday, a story about um, an elementary school where all of the elementary schoolers were going on a big class trip to go see a play and parents called and complained and they canceled the trip because there was, I think there was one or two characters in the play cross-dressing, mm. but the play is a children's performance of James and the Giant Peach. It's become this kind of issue where any idea of people cross-dressing is immediately considered to be a problem. But I think people need to think back on all the very innocuous experiences that they've had with that in the past. I mean, think about Halloween. Think about Mrs. Doubtfire, um, Edna Turnblatt from Hairspray. These are not these are these are movies that we all grew up showing our seeing as children, showing our children because they're. They're not sexual. They're not adult themed. There are people cross-dressing, but it's not its not something that makes it inappropriate for children automatically. There's nothing individually wrong. It's, with it goes back to what I said earlier, where like there's the assumption in some people's heads or even subconsciously that woman equals sex. So they look at cross-dressing. It's like this must be a purely sexual thing. Good point, Tom. Where does that come from, Tom? I I'm not sure. I mean, it's there's like an insecurity there. But you're lumping a group. You're lumping a group of people that would think that drag would immediately be synonymous with like a strip club exotica kind well, of. Not not necessarily a strip strip club, but well, with sexual with something sexualized. sexualized. I, and I I think a lot of people do think that 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 they worry. Is that where that, it originated, though? Is that where they that the the community was able to first express themselves in a um, sexual way no honestly drag has been around for a very long a very very long time um i mean shakespeare yes. is one thing that people always look at um those were not um and i think something you know back in world war ii that's what the uh, the gis used to do to entertain each other oh funny. when yeah they used to put on drag shows for each other um and when they were in dire situations so it's something that has that has existed for a very long time and it has never had this specifically sexual context uh, i think personally um i would connect it to the fact that that's what's been happening a lot in conversations about trans people um where they say that they seem to a lot of a lot of not they a lot of people seem to have this knee-jerk connection of trans people with sexuality um, that's why you're like, oh, I don't want, I don't want a, a, a trans person in the bathroom when my kids are there or something like that. Um, because in your head, you're like, they're, they're a more sexual being, them being trans makes them more sexual. Uh, and I think that that's why these conversations are all popping up at the same time, that as a society, we're really reckoning with 
our ideas of like sexual deviancy and things that we have long time connected with that, um, which are really just groups of people who are trying to live their lives the same way ever, as everybody else is. Can I ask a question about um, your thoughts on sports and yeah, competition? Certainly. And the newness of what's happening in sports with trans folks competing against biological women. Well, vice um, versa, right? Right. Yeah. Um, I think that from, from my experience, people are not just going and participating in sports um, willy-nilly. Like these sports organizations have a lot of rules about who can participate as a trans person. Uh, I know people a lot of the time get are, are very scared of the idea of trans women participating in women's sports, um, which as uh, to me personally, I think that the sports question can be very frustrating uh, only because growing up, sports was really the only thing that helped me feel good in my body when I was struggling with the, the fact that I was trans, that being an athlete, that helped me connect with um, with my, my physical body in a positive way, which otherwise I didn't really have. So I feel very strongly that for, for that reason, just kind of internally, I'd love for all trans people to have that opportunity. Um, I think for starters, when you, as uh, a lot of these trans athletes who are participating in sports, they have to undergo a bunch of different, uh, they have to undergo tests, they have to undergo uh, normally at least a year, sometimes two of hormone replacement and um, for, for trans women, um, androgen suppression. So to remove the, that kind of testosterone uh, bump. And most, uh, I mean, there's a lot of different disagreement um, from different people, but trans women aren't dominating these sports. I, I do understand where that fear comes from. I, I think, especially I, I grew up playing women's sports. I was a really dedicated women's ice hockey player. Um, and that was, that was my whole life. I, I love sports. I loved women's sports. It really, it really was, that was my identity. And women's sports over a long, long period of time have been treated with a lot of disrespect. They've been underfunded. Um, they've been unavailable a lot of the time. A lot of women want to play certain sports that they're just not able to play because the teams aren't available. No one's willing to fund it. No one's willing to watch it. Um, that was Title so, IX, right? Title IX right. was the regulation that helped that along, right? So, yes. So women's sports have have had to women athletes have had to fight very very hard to just be able to participate in sports yeah. and to be treated like athletes so i think when you fought so hard for something there can be this natural fear that anything that might even seem to your brain as a threat that you're like i can't let that take away what we fought so hard for and i think it's tough because at the end of the day what a lot of trans athletes are saying is that this is not the threat to women's sports. The threat to women's sports is that they're underfunded, that they aren't available, that a lot that a lot of female athletes experience violence and sexual violence from people that they're supposed to be able to trust within their sport. Um, There's so many things that women's sports are still wrestling with to be able to um, bring those experiences to people. And a few trans women participating is not that's not the threat that's what people want you to that's what people who are in power who don't 
care about women's sports yeah. want you to see as a threat because, because then so, it's so rare too. Yeah, there are not a hundred thousand trans women. I, I think the one of the main news stories on Fox News uh, last week was that there was a trans woman, a trans woman who ran in the London Marathon. Right. And the headline was like, she beat fourteen thousand women. She should give back her medal. Um, and I had to do some digging to find out that she came in six, like 6,100 and got a participation medal. But again, it's, it's perspective. And it's, it's going back to what we were talking about earlier, when one group who has had a traditional way of doing things feels that there may be a shift coming, they will potentially band closer together to be sure that nobody gets into that group. And I think we're seeing this all over the country in all certain things. We're talking about one particular area right now, but it's happening in so many groups. There are all these in-groups and out-groups and this rule and that rule. And there's a way to manage it and understand it, but it's important that we recognize that it's happening because it is. Right? Recognition is immediately shifting your brain to the prefrontal cortex, which is part of the biological domain. And I want to get to the two truths because we're, we're trying to, to change the schedule a little bit. Usually we ask people right at the end of the show about small changes, kind of big effects. We never get a chance to really discuss what they're suggesting. So Finley, you remember with the I am approach, right? The I am because the four domains interact a small change in any domain can have a big effect. So that's the first truth. Given the topic we're talking about tonight, Finley, what small change can you recommend to our listeners? Um, I think if, if drag is something that makes you fearful, that's something that you kind of have a knee-jerk fear towards and makes you uncomfortable, I, I gotta say, there are so many opportunities to see drag in this area, just going, bring as big a, a posse of safety people as you need to feel comfortable in that space. But if you really are feeling a lot of fear about it, I would say that experiencing it will dispel a lot of that fear. Um, I, I think that people, the, the small change is really just coming from a, a place of respect, honestly, and an understanding that people aren't, aren't going out and spending hours putting on makeup and and putting on dresses and tights and all sorts of stuff wearing six inch heels they're not doing that to come to your house and bother you they're not doing that to come to your house and bother your children they do it because they love to do it and it's a lot of work they wouldn't do it if they didn't really want to um and that there are so many artists in the world um and we allow we we so many different people have so many different types of art that they love. And this is just another type of art. Um, and we shouldn't be treating it as if it's different from a lot of forms of theater or uh, musical performance, because that's really what it entails. It's the same. If you look at a lot of the glam rock rockers from the seventies, I challenge you to distinguish some of them from drag queens nowadays. Um, Good point. Yeah, and, and they were heroes and, and, and legends and people followed them a lot. You both can, you male can, and female. Both male exactly. and female, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it, in other words, it's 
it's not being disrespectful to your perception if somebody is in drag. Yeah. And you don't have to like it. You don't have to go to the show. It's just you shouldn't stop other people from being able to go to the show if they like it. Amen. It's just like everything else. First Amendment, right? All of it. Freedom of speech and being able to wear what you want. Is that freedom to be? Freedom to be. Is that like the 26th Amendment? Freedom to wear whatever you want? Can we make it an amendment? (laughs) I, I would put that right in the first. Okay, right in the first. So small changes. So that's the small changes is go to one of the shows, check it out for yourself. As you said, you know, bring whatever safety net you feel you need. But trust me, you're not going to need a safety net. It's really, it's really fun. Yeah. You know, they're people- happy that you're there. If you go to see a drag yeah. show, the drag queens are so happy to see you. I, I, one of the things that I love about going to drag shows in Boston and in the surrounding community is that people are so happy to be there. They're so happy to be there. They're so happy to be there with you. They're so happy to be there with the Queens. It's just a place that is full of a lot of joy and kind of togetherness and community that we're all here to to cheer and enjoy someone doing something they love. So there's there's nothing in that that should be be scary to people if if you spend some more time with it. It's a lot of oxytocin that's going, right? A lot of mm-hmm. people valuing each other and enjoying that and feeling great i mean i tell you the the first person i saw in drag was back in like 1979 in provincetown and it was so much fun really and it's still happening incredible comedian um down there it was fantastic all right so so the first truth small change big effect second truth perhaps more powerful uh Everyone is interested in what you think about them through their IC domain, how I see myself, how I think other people see me. So the way you see someone has an effect on their biological domain, the way they think you see them, because you know it feels different when you feel respected or disrespected. Because of this, you control no one, but you influence everyone. And you get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. Finley Congdon, what kind of influence do you want to be? I I I'm I hate to be boring, but I think I'm going to say approximately the same thing I said last time. Going back to what you said earlier about how we're afraid of the unknown, um, it can be kind of scary to be a trans person who's very out there with their identity because there are a lot of people who will tell you they don't like it right now, whether it's politicians or just people on the street. Um, it might it's not always safe to do, uh, but for me, it is extremely important to be very clear about that with people, to be very open about my my transgender identity, because the more people who meet me, who like me, who spend some time with me, like every one of those is a, a changed heart, maybe just a little bit. I think the more a, a, any small trans person that I can make feel better about the possibility of having a future and any non-trans person who I can make feel a little better about, well, trans people are just, they're just people. They're just trying to be happy enjoy their lives the same way that everyone else is that's all i want to do so being very vocally myself i think is is the best thing that i can do to influence people around me well i i certainly think you've had a huge influence on us and hopefully our audience so people can again respect and value and trust and 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 just explore the world there's so many interesting things out there guys you don't need to be afraid it's okay 
Spoonley, thanks so much for uh, being on the Dr. Joe show tonight. And love to have you back sometime and just continue the conversation. Yeah, I love being here. I love talking with y'all. Uh, it's always a great conversation, so I just appreciate you having me back. All right. Good night, folks. We'll see you next week on the Dr. Joe Show. Thank you, Finley. Thank you. Thank you, Mark.